Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Heckfeld. I'm your host. And today we're here with Vinay Tolia, who is CEO of the Flower Corporation. And we're going to find a little bit more, but Flower is a Canadian company. They're focused on the growth side of the process, of the economy, of cannabis process. And we're going to find a little bit more about what they're doing. Based in Toronto, they have a grow facility out in BC, and they are on the Toronto Exchange. So excited to talk to Vinay here a little bit more about what's going on in Canada, what they're doing with Flower, and kind of the, the future of cannabis here. Vinay, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Bruce. Great to be here. So why don't we start with a little bit about you, just kind of your background, how, how you got into the space, how you got involved with Flower, and then we can talk a little bit about Flower and what you're doing with the cannabis market. Sure. Sounds great. So I got into the space in a very roundabout way. <laughs> my, my background is in finance. I was an investment banker in New York, and then I, I founded a hedge fund in 2006. And in around 2013 or 14, right, when they changed the laws in Illinois, uh, that I was based out of Chicago. When they changed the laws in Illinois to allow for medicinal cannabis, we started talking to some people who were applying for licenses to grow in Illinois. I didn't know anything about the industry, but I found it just fascinating from yeah. a business point of view and from kind of a, a social and justice point of view. And just invested personally in, in um, one of the companies I was applying for for a license in Illinois. And that company ended up winning a couple of the licenses in Illinois and I, you know, became close with them and just started learning more and more about the industry and started learning, I mean, just looking all over the place. And then in 2016, mm-hmm. we met, when I say we, the, the family office that, that was behind our hedge fund and we met Tom Flo and his team and, yeah. and 
we really hit it off and it was really their, their, their expertise and skill in the cannabis space that we hadn't seen anywhere else. Yeah. And we realized this is the team we want to, this is the team we want to bet on. This is our edge. And we founded Flower in 2016. I was a uh, you know part of the original investing group. I was an advisor to the company for a few years and then left the hedge fund about three months ago to move to Canada and join as CEO full time. So I'm I'm all in. I'm awesome. a Canadian resident as of as of a week ago. Cool, exciting, exciting moves. And tell us a little bit about the team. So you mentioned Tom, but what you mentioned the team is exceptionally good. Tell me more about it. Who else is involved, and what makes the team so unique? Sure. So I think this goes into what differentiates us, mm-hmm. and really what differentiates us is a lot of people, and myself included, when I first got involved in the space, don't understand how hard it is to grow the plant consistently and at a high quality. I mean, yeah. most people, when they hear it, they say, oh, it's a weed. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally weed. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I was no different when I first yeah. got involved in the space. But then when you when you start digging, you realize that to grow the plant consistently and without pests and pathogens is very, very hard. I mean, you can you can have 10 different growers start with 10 identical genetic material and you say, come show me your, your finished product and you can have 10 different products of different chemical composition. So yeah. when you're growing for a medicinal market, right, you, you got to make sure that the patient is getting the exact same treatment every single time. Same goes for the rec market. People want that same experience over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. that that psychoactive and therapeutic experience depends a lot on how it's grown. It depends on how much light you give it, depends on how much water you give it, when you prune it, when you mm-hmm. give it nutrients. So anyway, so that's to me is that's what when, when I talk about quality growing, it's it's a lot of those factors. The plant needs a lot of TLC, but to do it in a fashion that's clean and I can get into that a little later what that means clean it's really hard so the team the original team was a tom flow who is the co-founder of med relief which was one of the big producers here in canada Mm -hmm. and that was purchased for 3.2 billion dollars earlier this year (laughs) in the the largest transaction in the yeah in the the cannabis space in in the history of the cannabis space so far him Mm -hmm. and a lot of the people he's been in partnered with for they were one of the first guys the first teams who were we're setting up facilities and growing in, in Canada yeah. uh, since the early 2000s. So it's been they've had a medicinal program here in Canada since 2001. Okay. So yeah. these guys have have set up, designed, and set up a bunch of facilities over well over a decade's worth of experience, which you simply don't have really in a lot of places. You have guys who have been able to grow for years and been doing it on kind of like a black market garage scale, yeah. but not legally in a like in a industrial scale environment. And that th- that's what the team consists of. So it consists of Tom and the founding team was a lot of his old partners who are construction experts, design experts, mm-hmm. engineering experts that all specifically, they're, all their experience is specific to the cannabis space. Yeah, that's great. I think it, the time frame that they have, the experience that they have really is unique. I mean, and and the scale that we're talking about, I guess, give people a sense of what we talk about growing at scale. Like, what is this, you know, what is the volume? What does the facility look like? Like, what are we, like, just give us a, a magnitude vision here. So there's different kinds of grows. The two, without getting too technical, the main, the two main, the two main grows are kind of indoor controlled spaces. That's, that's a fully indoor mm-hmm. A closed loop system where the grower is essentially 
is trying to manipulate all the variables, humidity, CO2, airflow, everything. And then there's greenhouse. So greenhouse clearly has, uh, it, it's cheaper on the on the, the utility side, like you, you use less electricity mm-hmm. and things like that. You lose for that, for that as a trade-off, you lose control over a lot of the other environmental variables. Yeah. So uh, we focus just on on indoor grow. That is, and the difference between, and like, so the, one of the differences between the, one of the, the, basically the main difference between the states and Canada is because this is federally recognized and legal in Canada, yeah. their health and safety, you know, <laughs> regulatory body is, is a, as a federal regulatory body. So in the states, you have individual state by state requirements and yeah. different pesticides that are, that, that can be allowed and some that aren't and different testing regimes in Canada. It's the equivalent of the FDA that does all the health and safety testing. Hmm. The product gets they get sent to pharma labs for testing. So it's it's much harder to comply with a federal program than it is a state by state program. And then as far as scale, so the reason I mentioned indoor and greenhouse is you have greenhouses that are, can be massive. You have greenhouses that can be half a million, a million square feet, and then you have indoor facilities. So our indoor facility is eighty five thousand square feet. Okay. Wow. Well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a big, it's, it's really on a big scale. And, and the reason I mentioned the difficulty of scaling is this business, it gets exponentially harder to grow at a bigger scale. So yeah. growing from 10,000 square feet to 50,000 square feet isn't five times as hard. It's exponentially harder because there's just lots more areas where you can uh, introduce pests yeah. and contaminants and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So just really a different, a different game uh, at, the, at the level that you're playing at. Different game, and, and you know, one more differentiating factor for us is most people in Canada, because I mentioned the Health Canada testing regime is so strict, yeah. they can't pass the microbial the yeast mold levels mm. of the final product, so they have to resort to a process called irradiation. Yeah, that's where they take the final product, they shoot it with gamma rays, it kills the mold, yeah. yeast, and bacteria, but it would be the equivalent of me. Of me taking a moldy piece of bread, irradiating it, and then handing it to you and saying, "Okay, well, it'll pass. It, it'll pass the mold test, but you wouldn't want to eat that." Great, great visual bread. image there. <laughs> so it's still bread, and also what that irradiation does is it changes the terpene profile of the plant. Yeah. So it speaks terpenes associated with hay, bark, ash. So it's just a far less aesthetically pleasing plant, and yeah. that's what you have to do if you can't grow in a clean enough environment to keep pests and pathogens out. And that's why processes are so, so important. And very few people in Canada are able to grow and not use irradiation. So if, you, if you're using, if you're growing in a greenhouse, you're almost, because you can't control humidity, you can't control mold, and you're almost guaranteed to irradiate your product. So that's another key differentiating point for us is not having to irradiate a product, which is very hard. It's still hard for us. Yeah. And that's a big point of, you know, you and I talked about this earlier, is yeah. quality, where yeah. this is not a commodity, and there's always been different kind of scales of gradients of, of price and quality, mm-hmm. just like there's always been in the black market. There is now. And so not all cannabis, not all buddies created the same. There's definitely very distinct differences between between quality, between, you know, different strains and even the same THC and CBD level. Yeah. There's still a quality aspect that oftentimes you hear, oh, it's going to get commoditized. Well, not really. It's because it's, it's not like wheat or not like corn. Yeah. There are 
you know, discernible differences within the plan. Yeah. Well, it's almost, I, mean, I, I equate it to kind of wine and things like that. Like, yes, there's, you know, there's this kind of alcohol element, but there's so much more around this that has to do with how it's being used and, you know, taste preferences and, you know, the cultural implications and stuff. So I guess, how are you, how are you kind of segment them, segmenting the market and, and how, now that you have kind of these grow capabilities and kind of the quality levels you can produce, where does that push you or where does that put you in terms of the, the market that you're going after from from the actual flower product point of view. You mentioned the wine analogy, which I think is fair, and I think that's a good analogy. However, this is even different. We oftentimes we struggle to find good analogies. I think wine is is one of the better ones. Uh-huh. But even with wine, because you can have a five hundred dollar French Bordeaux, and you can take you know boxed wine, and they might not taste this exactly the same, but They'll still even the cheap stuff will still get you drunk, right? Yeah. But because of, so while I think the wine analogy is we, we struggle to find good good corollaries for the space, I don't think it's it's as applicable because you know you can have a, a five hundred dollar fancy French wine and two buck chuck you get a Trader Joe's and you can you, both will get you drunk. Yeah. Where, where cannabis because there is this psychoactive component to it yeah it's a different experience altogether the cheap stuff and the nice stuff so it's not as though you can just smoke more of the cheap stuff and it'll get you it'll get you to the same place as, yeah. the, as the expensive totally different experience so yeah see what I'm, what I'm getting at is there isn't a so-called premium segment of the market for dried flour it's really just everyone wants the nice stuff yeah and Given that the the price differential isn't like the five hundred dollar bottle of wine versus two buck chuck, it's a few dollars more per gram. Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't make a difference to people on the on the budgetary scale, but yeah. because the price difference is close enough and it's a totally different experience, the, the entire dry flower market is something we can go after. So it's not like we're a niche player that yeah. only is only to serve a small segment of the dry flower market. But all of the dry flower market is you know, part of our addressable space. Yeah. And how do you look at the market at this point? I mean, I, you know, we've got, uh, you know, the U.S. is obviously in its funky state, right? We've got the federal illegality. We've got state by state kind of referendums going on. You know, you're in Canada, right? So Canada now is federally legal. But do you see it bigger than that? I mean, lots of other countries are starting to look at cannabis legislation. How strategically, how are you kind of looking at the market at this point from a cannabis point of view? Sure. So, the, the, the beautiful thing about Canada is because it's federally legal, you can basically go after the world from here, uh, the world outside of the U.S. And so we are absolutely looking at international opportunities. The EU is a big one. I mean, you, you saw the U.K. just this month has allowed for doctors to prescribe medicinal cannabis. France is talking about changing their laws. Portugal is talking about changing yeah. their laws. Germany's just a, is, is a very nascent market, but, but just a potentially massive market. We're looking at Australia. We're looking at Latin America. So we will absolutely play in any jurisdiction where where we're you know where we're allowed to. Yeah. And the thing is, that if you look at the laws in in most of these countries like Australia and Germany and and whatnot, they look much more like the Canadian laws than they do like any U.S. laws. So yeah. the German laws specifically say that to be involved in the German certain parts of the of the German ecosystem you need to be partnered with someone that's regulated on a federal level. So the, so the, it's very hard for the U.S. guys or basically possible for the U.S. guys yeah. to play there. So this is absolutely a global opportunity. And, you know, our specific IP and skill set translates all over the place very well. So 
we're, we've already been looking to expand worldwide and and you know we're gonna that's gonna be a big part of our story next uh, next months and years it is a funny situation with the u.s and it's kind of uh you know the the situation that's in in terms of opening up this world market where normally you know i'm sure the u.s would be moving very quickly and becoming a world player on this you know it's stuck it's and it's not and it's sort of creating this uh, open field for a lot of folks i mean it, i mean i guess strategically as you look at at this market you know say the you know u.s you know gets its act together and figures out some national legislation in the next three four years I guess that is the game to get enough kind of get enough traction, enough footprint in this before the U.S. goes goes federal. Or are you really looking at it as that's a different they're going to play a different game than than you are, than Canada is going to play? I think a lot of our of our skill set can be applied in the U.S. However, we have to be careful because we're listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange and we can't have any U.S. assets. So we're not looking at the U.S. right now. We have a lot of experience and connections in the U.S. I'm sure, yeah. Know a lot of the players and and all that. One interesting point is when indeed the U.S. gets its act together and goes federally legal, they're going to have to change the regulatory environment to a federal system if they want to export, which I'm sure they're going to want to export. And so we will you'll see some kind of federal body, whether that's the FDA or someone else take over on the health and safety side yeah. and things will get much more stringent. And right now you have the U.S. operators. And I don't blame them at all. If, if I were them, I wouldn't be doing this where right now they're they're growing to, you know, whatever standard they have to in the jurisdiction they're in. Mm-hmm. And they're not they're not going they're not pushing to to mm-hmm. to have their health and safety standards at Canadian levels, because why should they? That's just, that's just an added expense and an added headache that they don't need to they don't need to yeah. undertake right now, right? Overcompete, yeah. Yeah, but 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 line when the walls come down and there's a federal uh, regulatory body there, they're going to have to. And so that when that happens, you know, we're going to be because of our expertise, we're going to be a really attractive yeah. partner, or you know, we're going to be a really attractive partner. <laughs> for, for a, yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at partner. <laughs> we'll see what how things play out. <laughs> So actually, let's talk about that kind of the the investing side, because I think that, you know, having, having been a banker, having looked at, you know, uh, businesses from a kind of a investment point of view, how does the investor in you look at this market? What are the things that, you know, the sort of the money side needs to kind of know about or educate themselves on if they're going to get involved in this market? How, how do you make good investment decisions? You know, how do we look at this as like any other kind of sector or, you know, industry? How do we make good business decisions, good investment decisions? Sure. So that's a tricky question, given how story driven this market has been so far. Yeah. You know, the reason I got involved a couple of years ago is this was before the markets exploded. The reason I got involved is if done well, these grow facilities can be tremendously high ROI cash flow producing assets mm-hmm. uh, if you what you're doing and that that's that's the difficult part when i say no I, I just mean if you have the the requisite skill set mm-hmm. and that's that's how i got involved so i still try to look at this from a cash flow point of view yeah although that's kind of old-fashioned when you look at <laughs> what's happened with a lot of the uh with the with, with a lot of the names in the space but you know eventually fundamentals will matter and cash flow will matter and when it comes to cash flow the 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 real metric that uh, that's kind of the most important one that determines profitability is yield, right? So yeah. when you're when you're looking at the 
the cultivation side of the business, it is very much a real estate business. And like any real estate business, you want to judge productivity per square foot, productivity per you know some unit of, of size. Yeah. And the more the more product you can get out of a given footprint, the you know obviously the higher your revenues are and the greater chance you have of being profitable. So from the investor point of view, clearly there there is a story aspect to all of this. Uh, we all know the winners in this space in the next five to 10 years will be absolutely enormous because it is such an enormous market and that, yeah. that we know exists. Unlike a lot of other industries, this is an industry that has proven size already. As an investor, I would really, really look at yield because that's going to be the thing that determines profitability. And and one day when cash flows really start to matter yeah yield is going to be what's what what determines cash flows yeah well, and what's going to go into yield i mean if i'm you know look at, looking at the operations on the kind of strategy the, the kind of the, the operational strategy of the growth facility and stuff what what are the big factors that go into that go into yield into the output of of that particular facility Sure, that's a good question. So there's there's a bunch of things. One is just is just the system that you're using. There's different types of uh, there's different styles. There's different systems. Some, uh, for example, you know, drip irrigation systems. You guys, you've probably seen the pictures of grow facilities where yeah. they have you know a line irrigation that's connecting all the pots in the greenhouse, and they're dripping water into there. When you're running that kind of system, you're kind of you're maxed out on how much yield you. Can get per square foot. Even the greatest grower in the world can only get a certain amount of yield under that system. Okay. Uh, we run a different system called Sea of Green, and there's a, the the plants there are much more tightly compacted. Okay. It's kind of a it's a, it, think about it as as a high performance system. It's like a it's like an F1 car. I mean, if you you yeah. you put an F1 driver in there, you, you we've all seen what they can do on TV. You put me behind there, I, I'll smash it into <laughs> you know. A, within 20 feet so uh, a lot of it is is based on the style you're using some styles are more forgiving than others the ones that are less forgiving tend to have higher upsides and then a lot of it depends on the processes it depends on exactly how you're treating the plants how you're there is and you know a, a lot of the the technical folks don't like to, to admit this but there is still a lot of tlc that you have to give the plant yeah. there's that and there's 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 the experience of the of the grow staff. There's so many adjustments that you have to make on the fly. It's not as though there's a playbook where there's just a step by step manual of how to do this. So yeah. there's still a lot of adjustments that you have to make on the fly, which which heavily determine the output at the end. Yeah, yeah. I've I've you know been sort of reading and seeing all of this kind of tech now that's going into the to the grow process, the grow facilities, it's almost kind of this robo grow kind of, you know, theory or, or approach where, you know, the, the more you can kind of measure and respond and adjust and have metrics and dashboards on, you know, what's going on in the grow and how do I, how do I make sure that I'm hitting, you know, hitting my yields, hitting my, um, you know, the various levels, uh, you know, avoiding the contaminants, stuff like that. It's, it's really, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's very scientific <laughs> from, from what, uh, it, it, is, it, is, it very much is. I just, not to be not to be lost in all that is yeah. it is still there is still art involved it's yeah. not as though it's a computer program that's uh, you know that's been solved there is still because there are there simply aren't it'll, it's going to get more and more automated yeah. people will get better and better at growing there's no doubt about that but we have this scenario where people are, are 
are just don't have the the requisite skill set. They don't have the experience. They don't have the ten thousand hours. You got like anything else. You have to try a bunch of things, yeah. make a lot of mistakes, and there's a lot of smart people in the space that will figure it out over time. Yeah. But right now, they just haven't gone through enough cycles. They haven't made enough mistakes. Yeah, yeah. How um uh, so so you're focused on uh, producing flour. How far kind of up the chain are you going? Are you, are you doing extractions? Are you getting involved in the actual, you know, kind of creating consumer products themselves or are you focused purely on the production the production of flour? No, so absolutely. So here here in Canada, yeah. um the producers sell direct on the recreational side. They sell yeah. directly into the provincial wholesalers, which goes straight to consumers. So Basically, anything we produce on the recreational side is a consumer product. Okay. Um, now, that's the dried flower side. On the and the extracts, we will absolutely play in that space. Yeah. However, that's not that won't be legal in Canada until next October. Now, uh, right now, there's nothing available on the you know the vape and edible and all and all that. You know, it, when it comes to extraction, because you're just pulling out a molecule from a plant and mm-hmm. You know, putting it into a gummy or an oil or something like that, yeah. the quality of the flower is less important. So while we will absolutely play in all those markets, yeah. you know, our, our flagship product and the thing we're going to be known for is the premium dried flower because simply that that's the hardest thing to do. That yeah. is, you can grow, you know, low quality stuff and just send it straight for extraction. Not many people, that's, that's easier to do. Not many people can grow the high end flower. And that's where we want to build our brand around. Yeah, interesting. What's your strategy around strains and things like that? Are you, do you have a particular focus? Are you looking at lots of different ones? How, how are you making those decisions? Sure, we're, we're looking at lots of different ones. Uh, we have a, a pretty big bank of strains right now. Mm-hmm. That's going to be driven a lot by customer demand. Because yeah. this, this, like anything else, there's different fads that, that happen <laughs> where all people yeah. want you know this strain. And then six months later, there's some new hot strain. And so... Yeah. The, the key is to have a big enough bank and not of just strains, but actually mother plants yeah. uh, so that if some new trend comes along, that you can be up in production as soon as possible. And you don't have to wait for planting seeds. And if you just have seeds to get in and to get, have enough starter material to start a room, uh, you're talking about, you know, it could be nine months to a year to wow. get that going. So yeah. If you have all that, if you have all those genetics kind of, in a library that's that's already alive, you can you can get up and running much faster. So the, the strains is going to be very uh, dependent on the customer demand. But I also just just want to again hammer in this point of the because as I mentioned before, the chemical composition of the plant is different yeah. based on the environmental conditions. You can have the best strains, but if you if you don't have the right processes in place and the right growing processes in place, it's not going to matter. You're still going to come out with an inferior product. Yeah, it's kind of the, the epigenetics. I mean, you can you can start with the right genetics, but if you if you don't incubate them and grow them in the right way, you're going to end up with an inferior, at least a highly variable product, which exactly. is not what we want in a in a large scale approach to this business. So I guess one, one last question I have is, um, you know, as you look at this market, you know, you're focused on this growth side, what, what are some of the other interesting kind of ancillary products, services, you know, other, other things that sort of need to be put in place or there's that are, you know, need to be innovated in terms of making this whole market work? Because it's more obvious than, than just the plant. It's like, you know, all the other things around this that actually make this market work. Where, where do you see kind of the opportunities or the interesting dynamics going on or innovations, you know, companies doing interesting stuff to make this um, make this market happen? Sure. So 
just just a point of clarification. It, yeah. It's not that we're just focused on the growth side, but the, I, I can I can talk your ear off about all the branding. <laughs> it's just that is really our uh, specialty, uh-huh. and that is that's something that not many people talk about because no one wants to talk about how hard this stuff is to grow. They want to talk yeah. about oh, it's going to be commodity, and we're just focused on the brands because a brand will matter. And the, while that is true, it's not a commodity, and it's not easy to grow. And so yeah. that's why I, I really spend a lot of time talking about that. So. As far as what other innovating things are happening, there's a ton of innovation happening. It really is location specific. So the, for example, the, all the innovative things that are happening on the branding side are happening in the U.S. Because Canada is so restrictive as to branding and marketing, mm-hmm. I mean, we, you can't have television ads up here. Uh, the packaging is extremely restrictive. You you can't really have fancy packaging. It's just a very plain box with your logo, which is just a few centimeters, like a couple centimeters across, and that's it. So you can't, the winners in Canada on this side will not be the ones who have very cool packaging and very cool you know, marketing. So a, a lot of the, like the, the innovations of Canada are, are around a lot of the grow processes and things like that. In the States, there's a ton of interesting stuff happening around branding, packaging, different form factors. So, you know, you, if, you, if you go into any of the any of the big conventions, the trade shows, you'll see all kinds of new form factors, all kinds of new delivery yeah. mechanisms. Yeah. That's where most of the that's where most of the innovation is happening right now is just trying to come up with kind of you know, more more user friendly ways that are effective to ingest the product. Right. I mean. People are people are really high on. Uh, I shouldn't use the word high, but really <laughs> bullish. They're bullish, huh? Excited about about drinkables, which I agree is very exciting because we're already set up as a society yeah. to be socially acceptable to go out and get a drink. So if you can do that with a product that doesn't that has no calories, that doesn't get you hungover, I mean that sounds amazing. However. Yeah. Un, because of the bioavailability of the of the drinkable side, you know it has to be processed by your digestive system and then your liver. So it's not immediate. It's different depending on yeah. you know what time of day it is, what you have in your system. Whereas smoke and vape hits your lungs and is immediately it, it hits you immediately. You know how much you've had, and you know it, it's hard to have too much or too little of that. So a, a lot of the, yeah. a lot, I guess where I'm going with this, a, a lot of the innovations are happening around different ways of getting the product into your system in a consistent and, you know, for a lot of people that don't want to inhale something, yeah. a sublingual or, or, or something like that. So you see, you're seeing a lot of innovation around that. And that's super exciting for all of us because then it opens up a segment of the market who has never touched the product before and and doesn't want to smoke it or inhale it, but is fine trying a different conveyance and could really just expand the market for all of us. Yeah, yeah. As I said, there's there's so much potential and uh, it's such a dynamic market right now. It's it's uh, it's interesting. Vinay, if people want to find out more about Flower, about you, what's the best way to get that information or get a hold of you? Sure. So the best way is to visit the website. It's a uh, flower.ca so it's flower no e.ca that's our website um, all buy information is on is, is on the website if anyone awesome. uh, wants to shoot me an email feel you know more than welcome to my email is v i n a y at flower.ca and we're 
publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Exchange, and the ticker there is FLWR. Awesome. And I'll make sure that those links are, are in the show notes. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you guys are on a fascinating wild ride and uh, a lot to do um, to get these facilities up and running and growing and get this market uh, developed and uh, taking on the world here. So uh, I'm excited for you guys. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's a you know, pleasure to be on and, and thanks for having me. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.